Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on March the 13th, 2016. Now the last few series I've done really have been on from the Master's mouthpiece coming soon. Your planned future of gloom and doom. Because that's all you've heard for ages, isn't it? Getting you ready for austerity and so on. And uh, all the financial troubles and more free trade, which already screwed you into the ground pretty well, uh, is uh, being expanded, you see. And the first world countries, then they still call those who are not living in the streets so far, like all living in the streets, a first world country, have to pay for the third world countries to come up to a higher standard as we're all going down the tubes, you see. It's wonderful, really, for a global system and the masters who really are already in charge of it and control it all. But this next series, at least this, this particular episode, is about the carbon con. And now I've touched on this before, and pretty in depth, actually, to show you, because the whole point of this is to show you how things are planned well in advance before you ever hear of them and before anything that, that gets passed into law, you see. There's a technique of getting the public ready for any big change, especially to your wallet, you see. And this is, this is how they do it. They always put up trial balloons years in advance, years and years in advance. And... In fact, they take old ideas, things that, were, things that came out through the, the bogus sciences of 50 years ago or more, and say, how could I use that down the road to bring in this kind of controlled society? It's all about that, the totally controlled society in a global system. And in the old days, of course, they coupled it with religion. That was much easier then to control the public. And you get mandatory tithing off them and things like that, you see. But when you could tie something in like the carbon con that's, come, that's here already, and cap and trade and all that, you tie that in with science, which is the new priesthood, you see. And much more corrupt than even the old priesthoods were. Uh, this, this new priesthood, are no darn well they're corrupt. <laughs> But, but then again, that's the, the stage of society we're in in all the Western countries of today. We're being corrupted totally, and that had to happen as well, because the big boys who always plan the future, because, you see, at one time it was just the nation that was their business. They owned the nation. Now they own nations, and now they, they pretty well own the world. That's the whole point of creating trading blocks, tying them together, giving them central Parliaments always start off as commissions to deal with trade, and then you have the, the super parliament of the global system. And that's what we've gone down. I've done so many talks on the past, on this, in the past, I should say, on this, and it all ties together, you see, to show you that you can vote for whoever you want to, and it's pretty well impossible for any real non member of the big club to get into being elected. It's pretty well impossible because they go through all... They're all vetted long before you even hear their names for the position. I've gone through the history of the CFR and that since the late 1800s, uh, the main organization, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is called the Lord Alfred Milner Group at that time, um, they've been, everybody who's been elected in any party 
is a member of the same organization. Carl Quigley said that, and he was the historian for their, their own archives, their own version of history, these guys. So nothing's changed, you see. Whether they admit they're a member or not, doesn't matter. You'll find out afterwards that they are. Other ones, of course, run for the presidency, and they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, it's just my wife is a member, or something like that. Or else they'll say, well, I'm, I'm a member, but I've dropped that part right now uh, for I'm running for office. Like, you just put it to the side, and everything you've sworn allegiance to in that particular organization, you just suddenly forget, like amnesia. Like, rubbish, you see. Utter rubbish. And on so many records. Remember, cutting through com into the archive section, there's so much history there, going way, 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 way back. I try not to get caught up in the daily trivia, because most news is trivia, especially when it's sensational or emotional. That's put out there purposely to make you think you're still getting real news. That's not news at all. Real news is how you take over, control, and own nations of peoples. That's real news. And it's not a conspiracy as such, because it's an open conspiracy. That's what H.G. Wells called it. He was part of it in his day. He was a propagandist for it. So to tie this in to the archive section, which it certainly will do for those who really are serious students, serious students who really want to know. And believe you me, most people who say they want to know don't really want to know. They want you to basically tell them what they want to hear. Big, big difference. And I've never lived in illusion, you see. I've even gone through the psychology behind the different, what's called, used to be called patriot movement. Now it's alternative media and so on. And the history of it, because back in the Cold War, the beginning of the Cold War, you find that uh, the CIA, uh, one of the first things it did was to make sure it embedded people through all media. All media. In fact, some of the media that was set up by them, including what at that time was a form of Christian patriot radio, shortwave, to try and spread uh, a, a counter to the communist ideologies across the world. And it never let go, of course. And if you understand the psychology behind it too, because it's all psych warfare, your mainstream media, when you see a documentary being shown uh, and some graphic thing of an animal getting killed by another animal or whatever it happens to be, and the music is boom, 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 very ominous and all that kind of stuff, and then start adding that into regular media. And then if you want to go on... Uh, don't copy the regular media, because what you're doing is, is you're showing. You're using the same psychological techniques to manipulate the minds of, your, of the people who are viewing or listening. And that's the, the truth of it, basically. If, if someone's bringing you a motive topic after a motive topic, and there's no doubt about it, there's professional board ops managing the music that's going to be a part of the intro or it's in the background and so on, that's meant to be your blood pressure go up and down like a yo-yo and your heartbeat just race and come back down and race again, etc. An emotional roller coaster to try and embed what they want to have embedded in your mind so that you don't think straight for yourself. You can't think straight and clear if you're 
being manipulated. So think for yourselves. That's not my main message has always been think for yourselves. And you are literally your own champion. And it also means that when you have what is bad news and how bad the thing is, you say so. You got to say so. It's no different than, for instance, if you uh, are a doctor or something, you must learn all the pathology uh, to do with disease and the signs and symptoms and the prognosis and so on as it, as it progresses, etc., down its path. And it's not very nice to listen to naturally, but if you don't know them because it's just not nice to listen to, then you, what kind of doctor are you? You won't be a happy doctor, you know. Come in with complaints or happy complaints. Don't tell me bad ones. And that's the psychology, again, of, of most people, basically. We do have, as they call it, an optimum, an optimist center in the brain. And uh, that was in the media years ago. And they even had talked about the God center, all these different things, you see. Which, you know, the God center basically is an area which... Um, it's almost a hypnotic state sometimes if you're thinking about something heavily, quietly, uh, in such a way that you almost forget your surroundings. Uh, a natural meditation, you might say. And that's also heavily uh, used and abused by those who know how to manipulate you, believe you me, with television uh, and internet and all the rest of it. We are the most studied species, remember, on the planet. And uh, as I say, with science today that took over from religion, and that was the intention of it long, long ago. In fact, some of the ones who helped to bring all this about uh, talked about that. They used the so-called esoteric um, uh, groups, like uh, certain branches of Freemasonry, and uh, some of the, the women's ones too, when they brought up Blavatsky. And she said herself that they would eventually merge Christianity uh, which was their main opponent at the time. They'd merge it with Eastern philosophies and religion, and and also eventually with science. You see, and now the science is at the the, the top for most folk, and the the white coated priests come out and tell you things with, with absolute authority on on the subject. You see, even though I've, I've, read, I've read many articles from scientific magazines and studies uh, that admits that most of the things they declare regularly on the media uh, are tossed most as, as new theories and new uh, uh, the new progress they're making on, on different topics are thrown out the window later they're found to be untrue or disproven many of the big players who are called philosophers or whatever it happens to be like Bertrand Russell who was dead now, of course, but he helped plan with other big organizations and groups who were dedicated to changing the cultures of the West that we're still living through right now, in fact, and more to come. He certainly aided in. He said that we'll train the public to listen to experts, and they can't hear anything on TV today, on news or anything, without some expert getting pulled in to give you some twaddle on nonsense, you see. To get you ready, well, and also you see, what that does is stops you from using your own thinking. Well, the expert said it. Why should I think about it? You know? So you start parting the expert 
all the way into a financial prison because they'll rob you blind. And that's part of the task of what I'm talking about tonight is getting you into that financial straitjacket. We are paycheck, really, and everything you buy is going to be taxed off you into austerity. That's why they got you used to austerity. I've done shows in the past on that, too. So this is about the, the cap and trade and all the rest of it that came out, but, you know, from the last meetings, and it's still going on, of course, and uh, there's much, much more to come because that's all you're going to hear for the rest of your lives is what you owe for existing, basically. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it amazing that everything is solved apparently by money? Isn't it amazing that? Money is supposed to solve everything. So the gods of science, who are also gods of the climate and gods of the atmosphere and everything that walks and crawls and under the earth and on the earth and so on, uh, are truly the, are some quite the priesthood, aren't they? You know, awful lucrative indeed. So I've quite a lot to rattle through the night, all connected together, to give you an idea of uh, what's going on right now. And as I say, this, this really goes in from the last series I did, from the Master's Mouthpiece, into uh, this new uh, financial gangsters and so on, con that's going on. So it, it goes from one series into the next one. Ontario Budget 2016. It says, the Liberals' cap-and-trade plan expected to generate $1.9 billion annually. This is from taxing you for, for carbon emissions and uh, energy taxes and all that kind of stuff. And it was from February 25th, 2016. And it says the average household could pay about $13 per month more in energy and fuel costs by 2017 under Ontario's new cap-and-trade plan. Now, that's nonsense. It's going to be a lot more than that because it's going to be taxed on every gallon, every litre of gasoline you buy. It's going to be taxed on to any fuel that you burn in the winter time uh, to keep warm and alive. And everything else, basically. That's what it's to go into. But the Liberal government is banking on that, good name for it, on that additional money going a long way towards creating green infrastructure in the province. What does that mean? Okay. So announced the new details about his cap and trade plan in its 2016 budget Thursday, saying it will bring in $1.9 billion per year starting 2017. The money the government has promised will be spent on initiatives to cut greenhouse gases. There's that nonsense again. If we didn't have greenhouse gases, we'd all be dead. Including, because most of it's water vapour. Including investments in public transit, clean technology, and making homes and businesses more energy efficient. Now, it's going to also mean that they come into everybody's, everybody's home and start telling you how to live, what you have to fix if you want to live there. If you can't afford it, you're on the streets, folk. I'm not kidding you. This is where it's all meant to go. The reinvestment includes money that will go back to households. Oh, my goodness, sure. It claims the electricity bills, for example, will go down by $2 per month. Big joke is going up all the time. It's meant to, and I've read all the articles from the, the energy companies about that. Uh, though government officials say how that will be accomplished has yet to be determined. Well, that's been, that'll be tossed out the window. Meanwhile, gas prices are set to go up by 4.3 cents a litre. Well, monthly heating costs for the average home are projected to climb by $5. Way more than $5, folks. 
estimates that are based on the current price of carbon. So the price carbon, you see, the program begins in 2017. It will affect everyone, but it's the most impact on industries, institutions, and electricity generators who simply pass it on to you, right? And distributors that produce over 25,000 tons of greenhouse gases per year. So it's not just carbon anymore, it's water vapor and everything else, right? <laughs> Uh, they will be required to buy allowances for their emissions. And uh, the province will place a cap on greenhouse gas emissions and create limited emissions allowances. One ton of greenhouse uh, gas will equal one allowance <laughs> for a given period based on the cap. What a joke, eh? And says Ontario emitted about 171 million tons how can they tax you on something when they have words like until you admitted about? <laughs> Who put their finger at the window and, and dreamed up a, 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 a quota here, eh? It goes on and on and on. It says the emissions cap will then continue to shrink by 4.1717% per year until at least 2020 for the heating and transportation fuel sector industries. Though the electricity generator uh, section won't face a smaller cap due to the significant cut to emissions resulting from the elimination of coal fire plants. And it's also a big massive takeover by getting governments, which is uh, what the big boys have been doing forever, actually, is um, getting together and uh, pushing for all these things because then they can emit their competition and you're left with nuclear generation. Uh, which again, too, will be limited as well, by the way, because I read years and years ago on the air about the brownouts that were all to come, etc. It's decided to reduce the amount of electricity to everyone in different countries. And uh, they'll be told in advance, they hope, uh, when brownouts will be coming so you can get your candles out in readiness and so on. Anyway, I'll, I'll put this, these, remember all these links I put up for you to read for yourselves. For those who, as I say, serious students, most, again, a lot of folk want to hear good news, you know, like, like this politician is winning for us, winning, 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 all that kind of nonsense, you see, etc., etc. Now you have world leaders invited to Paris Agreement signing ceremony on April the 22nd. And this is from the United Nations. Uh, so, the, so General Ban Ki Moon has invited all world leaders to a signing ceremony on 22nd of April for the historic climate agreement that was reached in Paris in December last year. Now, did anybody in, this, in the population get a vote on any of this stuff? No, of course you don't get a vote on anything at Mars. Your so-called elected leaders just go in and uh, it's presented to them, drafted up years before, and they just put their name on it and have a big party, these, these big meetings. So the signing event will take place at UN headquarters in New York on the first day. The agreement will be open for signature, which coincides with the observance of International Mother Earth Day, observed in many countries as simply Earth Day. It's also Lenin's birthday, by the way. Just a you know, coincidence. Secretary General intends to use the occasion of the signing ceremony to further engage leaders from business and civil society to put the new agreement into action. In his invitation letter, the Secretary General said that leaders' participation could also facilitate the early entry into force of the Paris Agreement and provide for the smooth 
a finalization of the operational details needed to give effect to the provisions of the new agreements. It says that in Paris, the 196 parties, good name for them because they're always partying, to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change reached an historic agreement to combat climate change that will spur actions and investment towards a low-carbon, resilient and sustainable future. You know, we could have done with humans way back, these, these characters here, we could have done with them way back the days, prehistoric days, when there was volcanoes going off all over the place. They could have stopped it all by taxing the dinosaurs, I guess. But man wasn't around at the time. The main aim is to keep a global temperature rise this century well below 2 degrees Celsius, and it drive efforts to limit the temperature increase even further to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. You know, you, you don't get really two thermometers agreeing with each other, you know. It, it's quite amazing. Pre-industrial levels, especially back then, you know, in pre-industry. I mean, whoever they had for thermometers back then, literally, it was so primitive, there was no standardized base or anything for them. But it doesn't matter. Facts don't matter, you see, when the big plans are made for money, you see, and controlling the population and making them poor so that the ones at the top can get awfully stinking rich. And all these new scientists, priests that now are on board with it too. To reach these ambitious and important goals, appropriate financial flows will be put in place, thus making stronger action by developing countries and the most vulnerable possible in line with their own national objectives. So the Secretary General thanked the heads of state and government for their leadership in combating climate change, which, of course, none of, none of that's put forward to the general public because we don't come, you see. We just, we just pay. That's, that's what you're there for, to vote and pay, you see. When you vote, remember, you're giving someone or a group of people the authority to do anything they want to do to you. That's a legality right there, you see. And this one here. U.S. and Canada promised to lead the world to a low-carbon economy. Isn't that wonderful? I haven't met anybody in Canada that was asked what they thought about it and promised uh, to do this, uh, or the U.S. for that matter either. But here's, I still hate that thing where they say, oh, the British have done this and, and the French. It's incredible. You know, you, you, what do you suddenly it's all of you are responsible for some country either going to war or doing something. No, it's not. No, it's not. Again, it's the ones that you elect. But really put in front of you to elect by the ones who already own your countries and the world. The US and Canada promised to lead the world, isn't that wonderful, to a low-carbon economy. And it says, the US and Canada declared they would help lead the transition to a low-carbon global economy Thursday in a dramatic role reversal for two countries once derided as climate change villains. Villains, you see, a villain. Whoa, that's not awful. You don't want to be called a villain, do you? So pay up. The shared vision unveiled by Barack Obama and Justin Trudeau Ahead of a meeting at the White House commits the two countries to a range of actions to shore up the historic climate change agreement reached in Paris last December. The two leaders committed to rally G20 countries behind the accord, promote North American carbon markets. <laughs> the markets, eh? Oh, dear lordy. And it's going to cap emissions from hundreds of thousands of existing oil and gas wells 
and protect indigenous communities in a region which is warming beyond the point of no return. According to a statement from the White House, well, that statement is good enough for everybody, isn't it? The initiative announced on Thursday brings the U.S. a big step closer to meeting its own Paris target by committing for the first time to cut emissions of methane, a powerful greenhouse gas responsible for about a quarter of warming from existing oil and gas wells. And it goes on to say that the biggest news, however, might be the final break with the policies of their predecessors who obstructed global efforts to fight climate change. See, that's apparently a fight. Well, in his seven years in the White House, Barack Obama has steadily transformed the U.S. into a climate leader on the international level. Yeah. The two leaders regard the Paris Agreement as a turning point in global efforts to combat climate change and anchor economic growth and clean development. The White House said in a statement, the resolve that the United States and Canada must and will play a leadership role internationally in the low-carbon global economy over the coming decades, including through science-based, oh, science, the priests are coming in again, to protect the Arctic and its peoples. It's amazing that, you know, you're taught at school, very basic stuff about uh, ice ages and whams between the ice ages, warming periods, see? And we're getting that too before man was in the planet, apparently. Isn't that amazing, eh? But now we're causing it, you see. We're causing it. And the answer to it is, is to rob you blind of everything you earn. Money. With Thursday's announcement, Obama appeared to be passing the, the baton of climate leadership to Trudeau. Trudeau, just months into his prime ministership, has made clear he wants Canada to play a similar leadership role at home and on the global stage. White House officials told a conference call with, uh, with reporters Thursday. And it's, it's a PR piece, of course. Everything comes out, the UN's a PR piece. And um, so the Canada and the US will work to ratify the Paris Agreement as soon as possible, leading an important symbolic boost the prospects are bringing the Paris Agreement into force as soon as possible after the 22nd April signing ceremony. The agreement must be ratified by at least 55 countries, representing 55% of global emissions. It goes on and on and on. Again, it goes through the same old rubbish. Then you go into this article here. And this is from March the 3rd, 2016 to do with Ontario. The Ontario government has unveiled its long-awaited cap-and-trade regime. Meanwhile, the federal government is in the early days of establishing its pan-Canadian climate strategy featuring a minimum national carbon price of $15 a tonne. Will these policies help Canada meet its commitments under the Paris Climate Change Agreement to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels? It's interesting, though, when you think about it, that um, when you look at uh, the trade winds, all the different uh, winds that affect uh, the countries and how they go around the world, really, up and down, north, south, and then you know, east to west a little bit, and, and change. And, of course, they're well established, that the patterns that they move in. So, basically, uh, you can, for instance, uh, if you ever watched the, the radiation that was coming in from Japan, for instance when Fukushima went off, and you could follow it, and I did, and kept records of it too. And you saw uh, the 
the graphic uh, and satellite and graphic um, uh, movements of the winds were, as were coming through. They come up through uh, it was California, basically, and uh, go up northeast and then over the Great Lakes and then up into Ontario. So basically, when you look at it too, you, you start getting carbon coming in to Ontario from China. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you see. You've got to pay for it now. It's all bogus, you understand. It's, this is not just to get money. That's a big part of it, naturally, for the big boys at the top. It's better than indulgences used to be in the Middle Ages. And it's passed by law and by our governments. It's even better for them, you see. It's also to bring into austerity and to post-consumer society and make you pay massive amounts for everything you'll need for basic survival, for living. And restructure all of society under total government authority. Every single person eventually on the planet, but starting in your countries, you see. And it says here, it depends, it says, Ontario joins Quebec and California, and I've read the articles again in the archive section at com in the Western Climate Initiative, WCI. Again, a private group got together. A carbon market for tradable emission allowances. Like the European Union emissions trading systems, the WCI places a cap on the amount of carbon that can be emitted into the atmosphere and facilitates the trading of pollution allowances. Now, all our, all our governments, you see, so they're across Europe too, they, they give out millions and billions, actually, of carbon credits to the big corporations so they could start trading these, just like any real commodity, and make profits on it. You see? And of course, all the scams are already there. When we get money, except there's always a scam involved by the, yeah, the usual people who are fantastic at conology. The cap is reduced over time, and in theory, the cost of carbon allowances rise. While it's easy to get lost in the weeds of cap and trade policy, no kidding, it's important to focus on the regimes. Oh, yeah, the terms are used now, the regime. We're living in regimes now. Overall objective, to rapidly reduce global greenhouse gas emissions. Two considerations are crucial. The price must be right, that's number one. The highest carbon price in Canada is British Columbia's $30 per tonne carbon tax. But bear in mind that BC's tax does not apply economy-wide BC carved exemptions for industries with high emissions, intensity and exposure to trade competition, such as oil and gas. The same, unfortunately, goes for Alberta's tax expected in 2018 and Quebec's carbon market allowance a price of $15 per tonne. We're still $30 per tonne, let alone $15 is woefully insufficient market signal. Canadian energy economist Mark Jacquard analyzed BC's tax and found that $30 per tonne adds $0.07 per litre to the price of gasoline, just one-sixth of the increase likely required to shift car and truck buyers' preferences to electronic models. Electronic models in Canada, especially in places like Ontario and so on, where the winners you get here are useless. Useless. And, and it ain't going to be cheap. Never mind that you need to buy them, but to maintain them. N- never mind again, recharging the darn things. Because in the deep cold, everything, any battery out there, is going to lose its charge so fast.
Anyway, it doesn't matter, because it's all meant to get you off the road eventually. This is hardly surprising given peer-reviewed estimates of the true cost of carbon. What do you mean a, a true cost of carbon? How is there a true cost to anything? It's just somebody's idea. That's what a price is. Jacquard estimates that carbon must rise $160 per tonne by 2030 to meet the previous federal government's target of reducing the greenhouse gas emissions by 30% from 2005 levels by 2030. On another model, one accounting for GHG's global greenhouse gases, adverse impact on country-level economic growth, the true cost of carbon is $220 per tonne. So they're arguing about the cost of it. All these guys that love to, you know, the guys who live better than you, who work with pens and pencils and adding machines and so on, uh, who all work for governments and stuff like that. Anyway, it's awfully boring. Uh, and uh, But this is the, the nonsense. It's worse than your, your taxes. Try to understand what the heck they mean, you know. Because that's meant to be that way. It's all conology. Conology. And then you have California adopts extensive cap-and-trade emission plans. That's from 2011. See, it's all done long before they sign anything, folks. Everything always is. And I've read the articles with the, with the, the provinces of Canada and certain ones would mate up with U.S. states and they would go it themselves and, and pass, they passed laws years ago to start putting energy taxes in and carbon taxes and things like that to see in reducing carbon. Again, in the archive section of cuttingtreemates.com. And as this is what it comes from 2011, and it adopted the nations in California, the nation's most comprehensive so-called cap-and-trade system Thursday, an experiment by the world's eighth-largest economy that's designed to provide financial incentives for, for polluters to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And state officials said they hoped other states in Washington, D.C. would follow suit, calling the plan a, a capstone, oh, a very interesting term, among the suite of tools California can use to reduce the pollution linked to climate change and cut dependence on foreign oil. It won't matter where it comes from, folks. And then we go into this one here in Ontario, Canada, 2011 as well. Analysis, should Canada have a cap-and-trade system? And it says, three out of four parties in the House of Commons support introducing cap-and-trade system to control carbon emissions. But very few Canadians understand how such a system would work, and some provincial leaders think it's just an excuse for the federal government to tax their energy industries. It's an excuse to tax everybody. In its simplest form, cap-and-trade is a market-based system where the government puts a cap on the total amount of pollution industries allowed to emit. Each company would receive permits for how much pollution it could produce. If a company produced less than its limit, it could sell or trade permits to other companies that have gone over their limit. Now, how do they even judge how much they're even doing, you see, putting out there? Never mind all the CO2 given off by plants at night and stuff like that. Well, you pay for that too, won't you? Cap and trade is not an untested nor unsuccessful system of reducing emissions. Is it more money punishing you by taking money off you always is some way you can form anything that way. 
The US introduced a cap-and-trade system as part of the Clean Air Act amendments of 1990. It aimed to control industrial emissions that caused acid rain, and that's gone out the window now, of course. According to the US Environment Protection Agency, the Acid Rain Program introduces an allowance trading system that harnesses the incentives of the free market to reduce pollution. They tried the acid rain corn way back in the 70s and stuff like that, and 60s too. Oh, every, and the big, every country had these documentaries immediately all at the same time in every country showing oh my god there's lakes everywhere just dead nothing's living of course that went by the wayside as the fish are still jumping and the, the bugs are still landing in the water and all the rest of it so then they jumped to carbon instead you see this is my concern is that there's going to be a, a new environmental policy like cap and trade which has questionable results in terms of reducing co2 carbon dioxide, which we all breathe out, but has an unintended consequence of effectively kneecapping the parts of our economy that are working well. How is that good policy? asked Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall. According to some expert, oh, here's the scientist again, expert, see, a cap-and-trade system, if properly designed, should not have that effect on the economy. Of course not, no. Right now, more of the emissions in Canada are in the western provinces, so if the government initially allocates some of those permits here, that valuable property stays here, says Andrew Leach, Professor of Environmental Management. That's his job, you see, that's how he makes his, his living, at the University of Alberta School of Business. And businesses make money any way you can, including environmental cons, you see. Alternatively, Leach said Ottawa could give provincial governments the right to issue emissions permits. It's a complex system, he says. Simple in theory, but when you start to implement it, it does become quite complex. Well, wherever you get anything that's complex, folks, it's a con. Con. As I say, it's no different than your money system. You try to call it economics, and it's oh, so complicated. Really. And it's a science. But the bankers always plunder us every, at least it used to be twice a century, now it's a lot more. And uh, and they just never figure out what's happening and what's how did this happen and, and they're all surprised all these top scientists of economics. Same thing with this rubbish too, you see. So should Canada have a cap and trade system? Well, it was decreed as a must be years and years and years ago, and that's why you're going to get it anyway. Because as I say, it's the change of way of living which the big boys at the top always wanted long, long ago. The right, the legal right, not just to come into your home and tell you how to live and what to do and all the rest of it, but to manage your life individually, each one's life. From birth to death, folks, in a brand new system with your communitarianism and your Agenda 21 and all the rest of it, you see. Millennium projects, etc. Living in your little community, you won't need to move outside your community. And in the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, you'll also find uh, all the other articles I've done on communitarianism and the, the Millennium Project, the Gen 21 and all the rest of it. Again, from the United Nations and uh, the big bankers in charge of it again too and so on. So it all ties in together. And from the United Nations, as I said, an article years ago, I read them on the air, where... And all their target dates for things, 50-year plans, 100-year plans, 10-year plans, 5-year plans for different projects. And eventually, uh, pretty soon actually, 
when all this gets underway, uh, you can't live in the rural areas because you can't afford to drive. So you'll move. Quite simple, folks, isn't it? Your little electric car might get you a few miles, and, and uh, if you're very, very lucky, if it's brand new batteries in it, uh, through the winter. But it ain't going to get you from, from the country into a city, for instance, to work, or anything like that. And it says, Cap and Trade really provides certainty over targets, says BC Environment Minister Terry Lake. So you got a minister of the environment, I guess God appointed him. So when you're dealing with industry, uh, when you provide certainty over the targets that you hope they will achieve in a market in which they can achieve that, then they can make long-term plans. What does all that mean? Well, WCI hopes to have the system up and running next year. There's already a cap-and-trade system for power utilities in the northeastern United States. But the only jurisdiction in North America with a cap-and-trade-like regime for all industries is Alberta, which has intensity targets on all industrial emissions. And it goes on and on and on. Now, the Western Climate Initiative 2, you find it on Wikipedia. Uh, I've talked about it already. And um, it says... uh, it was started in February 2007 by the governors of five western U.S. states, such as Arizona, um, I think it's California, New Mexico, Oregon, and uh, Washington, with the goal of developing a, a multi-sector market-based program to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So it was a private little club, you see, that... Uh, First, obviously, they were bribed to, to, to start this off, kick it off. That's how it works, you see, in reality. And it says they were set up by these governors to evaluate and implement ways of re- to reduce their state's emissions of greenhouse gases and achieve related co-benefits. Well, they'd get lots of benefits privately, I'm sure. These states and future participants in the initiative, collectively known as WCI Partners, also committed to set an overall regional goal to reduce emissions set in August 2007 as 15% below the 2005 emission levels by 2020. All the UN target goals, you see. Participating across border greenhouse gas registry to consistently measure and track emissions and adopt clean tailpipe standards for passenger vehicles. And gives you their goals and designs. And of course, uh, eventually they brought in Canadian provinces one by one. Privately again. Privately again, folks. By December 2011, California and Quebec and Canada adopted regulations based on these recommendations. And at that time, the WCI had no regulatory authority of its own. It was a private club. You understand? So it doesn't matter what you... you understand? It's all a done deal by private clubs. The big foundations run everything, the private foundations... You understand that? And it says, amongst other things, the Western Climate Initiative, this private club, lays the foundation for a North American cap-and-trade program. Not only in its design and implementation, but its potential acceptance of greenhouse gas emissions offsets from projects across North America. Some observers described the entire project as greenwash, designed to avoid committing to the Kyoto Protocol 
and cited evidence that much of more drastic cuts up to 40% could be achieved without affecting investment yield and equities. It's all down to money, isn't it? A good indicator that such cuts would not affect economic prospects and the economy as a whole. Some watchdogs expressed concerns over why WCI was set up in the state of Delaware as an anonymous shell company that would evade public scrutiny. I wonder why. The CEO of CARB Carb, James Goldstein, is also listed as the chairman of the board of WCI. That's just coincidence, isn't it? And the head of the auction oversight group. Auction. With auction off all these offsets and stuff. And I've got a link on that too, I'll put up for you to see. Partners versus observers. Several US partners, although active participants in the design of the program, announced in 2010 they would either delay or not implement the program in their jurisdictions. The partnership was therefore streamlined to include only California and the four Canadian provinces actively working to implement the program. All these private NGOs. Uh, that, that are paid big, big bucks by the top by um, the foundations, you see, the private foundations that run the world. And I've put up many quotes by big players and all of the cons that go on over the years. Again, going to the archive section, cutting through the com, and many of these quotes were collected by their sites. It added them to their own or created their own uh, using uh, all these different things I'd <laughs> been reading up and finding out and so on. Uh, to show you it's all been planned years in advance, and it's all a big con, you see. Some of, them, uh, some of the players even explain the techniques that they use. And years ago, of course, um, the Minister for the Environment in Canada uh, was called Christine Stewart, uh, years ago. And it says, no matter if the science is all phony, there are collateral environmental benefits, and climate change provides the greatest chance to bring about justice and equality in the world by sp- spreading the cash around, you see. Maurice Strong, of course, the late Maurice Strong, the big elitist again, who believed in uh, you know, the scientific community and uh, guys like himself should run the world, you know, and a lot of you should die off as well. The guy who said that, uh, the guy who brought you in a lot of these environmental treaties were all signed again by all your, your governments, and who was set up and trained by the Rockefellers, uh, he, uh, and, and he worked at the United Nations and all, and, and so on and so on. Uh, but, and a big, big story behind even his genealogy is awfully, awfully fantastic. But anyway, he's a billionaire elitist, of course, because he truly believed that most of you were just superfluous and shouldn't be living. He was the primary power behind the United Nations throne, and he says, um, and he was a large CO2 producer. Uh, he says, and he really was a large producer himself. Isn't the only, I mean, he, 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 he belched a lot of CO2. Isn't the only hope for the planet that the industrialized civilizations collapse? Isn't it our responsibility to bring that about? You begin to get, get the picture, folks, you yeah. Quote by Michael Gorbachev, communist and former leader of the USSR, who was brought over to set up the Green uh, Organization in, in uh, the US, the Green Cross Organization, it was called at the time, and the US uh, gave him the old military base, the Presidio, to uh, set up his organization. 
He was quite open about things. He said the emerging environmentalization of our civilization and the need for vigorous action in the interest of the entire global community will have inevitably have multiple political consequences. Perhaps the most important of them will be a gradual change in the status of the United Nations. Inevitably, it must assume some aspects of a world government. It's a lot more than that, of course, and I've even uh, read some of his stuff years ago on the air. We talked about uh, the need to create a new religion based on environmentalism, the planet, a Mother Earth uh, uh, theology, basically, a worship of the planet, and everyone would be subservient to, to the guys who are in charge of the sciences to do with it. Quite blatant about it. There's stacks of quotes here I'll put up from another site tonight. And many of them, as I say, I've mentioned over the years and years and years ago, I should say. But um, even has one of the founders, Paul Watson, the founder of Greenpeace. It doesn't matter what is true. It only matters what people believe is true. And uh, Jim Sibison, former public relations official for the Environmental Protection Agency. We, re- we, we routinely wrote scare stories. Our press is rep- uh, reports were more or less true. We were out to whip the public into a frenzy about the environment, basically by panicking them, you see. And Otmar Edenhofer, high-level United Nations IPCC official, says we redistribute de facto the world's wealth by climate policy. So they redistribute the wealth by using a climate policy. Basically, it's a big mistake to discuss climate policy separately from the major themes of globalization. One has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy is environmental policy. It has almost nothing to do with environmental policy anymore. It's to finance all their their new economy, which is like trading carbon credits amongst the big boys themselves. It's for them, you see. And, of course, the Club of Rome kicked it off, too, saying and searching for a new enemy to unite us. Big think tank, of course. We came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. That would fit the bill. All these dangers are caused by human intervention, and thus the real enemy then is humanity itself. Uh, And believe that humanity requires a common motivation, namely a common adversary, in order to realize world government. Create an enemy, which is all you, and you're going to perish if you don't get uh, the power in their hands, you see, and of a world government. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't matter if this common enemy is a real one or one invented for the purpose. There's many quotes on all of this. Anyway, I'll put that up tonight, too, for you to see. I will just rattle through some of the other articles here. And this is from Arthur Neslin in Brussels. The EU is set to emit 2 billion tons more CO2 than it promised. Oh, too much heavy breathing going on at the Paris climate talks. Threatening an agreement to cap global warming at 2C, a note from the European Commission has revealed. I guess I'll have to just bump off a lot of people, I guess. Carbon prices will rise too slowly to cut industrial emissions as much needed, said a confidential report prepared for the MEPs on the Environment Committee, which The Guardian has seen. 
who say that the shortfall could spur criticism from other countries that signed up to the Paris Agreement, which aims for net zero emissions, that's zero emissions, later this century. We'd all be dead, folks, if that's the case. I hope you understand this. (laughs) But a correction in the place at which carbon allowances are removed from the market to raise their prices, see they can raise their prices of this trading, this new uh, con game of trading on the market, could spark anger from coal-dependent EU countries such as Poland, which believes its industry would be unfairly hit. There'll be a lot of frozen dead people as well. The EU was caught between a rock and a hard place, said the Green MEP, Baz Eckhut, who sits on the Environment Committee. Yep, he's green. I wonder what planet he's from. The current proposals are not consistent with what was agreed in Paris, and are not even in line with what's in it. So, because I've made all these ridiculous treaties with all these ridiculous um, legal clauses and so on, reality doesn't. if reality clashes with it, uh, uh, they're all not, oh, tizzy about it. You, you got to obey the treaty here, uh, and and you better find a way to cut all those emissions and so on. Well, you know, since it's all done by the humans, as I've read already, according to the Club of Rome, they better just start bumping us all off or asking for volunteers to walk into the chambers or something that zaps you and you just disappear. And then you have the European um, uh, Union Emission Trading Scheme. It's a scheme, all right, done by the schemers. And uh, this is also known as the European Union Emissions Trading Scheme, the first large greenhouse gas emissions trading scheme in the world and remains the world's biggest. Wow. See, they decided that years ago. It launched 2005 to fight global warming. Wow, it's fighting it by tax money off you. And as a major pillar of EU climate policy, the CON, the EU ETS covers more than 11,000 factories, power stations and other installations with a neck heat excess of 20 megawatts in 31 countries, all 28 EU member states, plus Iceland, Norway, and Liechtenstein. The installation is regulated by the EU ETS. Again, you need a whole set of new dictionaries there, a whole encyclopedic set of them. Are collectively responsible in 2008 for close to half of the EU's anthropogenic man-made caused emissions, you see, of CO2. And 40% of its total greenhouse gas emissions. Amazing how they can just work out precisely that. It's fantastic. Aren't you amazed by these these guys with their little pencils now, eh? The taxation of electricity producers, power stations for the emissions of CO2 has been controversial, as globally governments have refused to accept additional burden, while many have repealed such schemes. Uh, Canada repealed in 2011, but it's back again with the new uh, Trudeau government and regime, as they call it. And then, I'll go into this one, Attorney General Loretta Lynch has considered taking legal action against climate change deniers. <gasps> so once you get a, a PC term in that blacklists folk and all makes them feel guilty, uh, that works for one group, you can always use it in another group. So you're a climate change denier. <gasps> 10th of March 2016. So she's considered taking legal action against the climate change deniers. I thought it was done a while back by her too. The United States' top lawyer told the Senate Judiciary Committee Wednesday that the Justice Department has discussed the possibility of a civil lawsuit against the fossil fuel industry. She said any information her office has received has been sent to the FBI in a bid to build a case. Her comments came as she was questioned by Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island. And there's a video there too if you want to look at it. And you can look that up. 
and see, uh, get a vision of the future. Maybe they'll give you a final score. I don't know what they're going to do. You know, this one here is another one, and uh, it's quite comical, naturally. You know, naturally comical. It says, and this is a standard technique by the big foundations and NGOs. Uh, the United Nations is used for other different things they wanted to get rid of and so on, or introduced. Standard technique. Children, it says, kids sued, sued Obama for violating their constitutional climate change rights. By, by an environmental group and climate activist, that nutcase, of course, James Hansen, who's well paid, I'm sure, for, for being a nutcase, the guy who worked at NASA. 21 kids appeared in an Oregon district court Wednesday, part of a lawsuit against President Obama for encouraging the use of fossil fuels. They also claim this is leading to increased global warming. <gasps> it's a violation of their constitutional rights, similar to a suit that was filed last summer in Massachusetts, in which the judge threw out the case. The children aged 8 to 19 seek to hold President Obama and various federal agencies responsible Look, tell the parents to cut off their heating in their rooms over one winter. That's the end of that. And uh, we're going to the next one here. Yeah, the Fed's paid 709000 to academics who studies... And, and one academic, this is, apparently, who studies how glaciers are sexist. <gasps> Maybe it's the shape of them or something. I don't know, like the Matterhorn, that horn thing, you might, uh, who knows, say. And it says, academics at the University of Oregon have determined that glaciers and the science that studies them are deeply sexist. Merging feminist post-colonial science studies and feminist political ecology. The feminist glaciology framework generates robust analysis of gender, power, and epistemologies in Dynamic social ecological systems. You always tell when left wingers are writing some, they're about leading to more just and equitable science and human ice interactions, reads the paper's abstract. Research was published in the peer reviewed journal Progress in Human Geography in January. Studies done by historian uh, Dr. Mark Carey and some student researchers, and it was financially supported by taxpayer dollars. No kidding. Well, always is, isn't it? The National Science Foundation gave Carey a five-year grant which he used to write his feminist glaciology paper. He's received $709,125 in grants from the NSF, according to his curriculum, Vitae. Most existing glaciological research, and hence discourse and discussions about uh, cryospheric change, stems from information produced by men, about men, with manly characteristics and within masculinist uh, discourses, Carey wrote. These characteristics apply to scientific discipline. And it's true enough, if you're really freezing, you start wearing trousers and, un and, and long johns under them, too. Anyway, beyond uh, glaciology, there's an explicit need to uncover the role of women, uncover the role of women in the history of science and technology, while also exposing processes for excluding women from science and technology. Ah, uh, dear, eh? this has got to be a joke. Oh, yeah. It's just incredible, isn't it? You know, but uh, again, you know. Uh, Get some academic there and claim they're a scientist and put them on TV 
And you believe what we are told They say it with authority And there's other UN guys to back them up hmm. No kidding, folks Well, from Hamish, myself from Ontario, Canada It's good night May your God or your gods go with you <laughs>